This episode of Breaking Brave is brought to you by Soul Snacks. Soul Snacks are single ingredient, eco-conscious dog and cat treats sourced directly from farms in Ontario and wrapped in fully compostable packaging. Treating your pets never felt so good. Use coupon code BREAKINGBRAVE for 15% off on soulsnacks.ca. That's soulsnacks.ca. This episode is also brought to you by Crank Coffee, the newest member of the Neal Brothers family. Crank Coffee is a new Canadian whole bean coffee brand that is certified organic and fair trade, founded by the Neal Brothers, Peter and Chris. This brand was influenced by cycling, coffee lovers, and experts. Check it out at the Neal Brothers online shop and use our coupon code BRAVE for 20% off your first Crank Coffee purchase. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm your host, Marilyn Barefoot. And today I am honored to be chatting with Mr. Pete Bombace, the founder of the Genwell Project. The Genwell Project is about human connection and its mission to make the world a happier and healthier place. Today, Pete and I chat about some small things all of us can do in our everyday lives to make the world literally a happier and healthier place. Wow, do we need this right now, Pete? Please welcome Mr. Pete Bombace. And today I am thrilled, beyond thrilled, because that's a line I normally use when I when I introduce exciting new guests, to have with me Pete Bombace and talk about insightful and visionary and incredible. I didn't know anything about the Genwell project. I didn't know Pete either, but it was actually through our mutual connection of Peter Neal, who came on and 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 chatted with me on Breaking Brave, that we met each other and I feel like it's been divine intervention. So, welcome to Breaking Brave, Pete. I'm thrilled to have you here. Yeah, it's so great to be here, Marilyn. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I like to do things in a bit of a linear way. Let's go back, if we could, to your days of Molson Coors. You were a beer guy. You were a senior (laughs) brand marketing beer guy. I have the utmost respect for that world. How long were you in the beer business, Pete? Well, I was at Molson for 13 years, but I was also in the liquor business, the wine business, and the hospitality business. So over 20 years in connecting with people through beverage alcohol in one way, shape, or form. Fantastic. And I honestly don't know the answer to this question, so I'm asking it straight up. What led you to make the jump out of that hospitality beverage alcohol business into the world that you are now working in? You know, it's it's a great question, and and I think it's an important one, especially for young people today, is, uh, to be honest with you, after 20 years in the hospitality industry and feeling like, you know, every day, every next day had to be better than the last day, the constant grind to sell more, you know, especially working for a big company, all due respect to, you know, the work that they do, it just being, it became a product. I was selling widgets, and I needed to do something with more purpose. And so I walked away from Molson after 13 years, and I, it certainly had some challenges with uh, with the, the approach and direction that some people were taking. So, you know, it was a, a personal thought that, you know, I got to go do something different. I got to change it up here. And, and I didn't 
know where I was going. But uh, before I had left for the last couple of years, before I left Molson, I uh, come across Movember, the mustache charity. And I became pretty passionate about that. And in 2000, in uh, 2008, I grew a mustache that was the biggest, baddest mustache that you've ever seen on a human's face. And I walked around Molson for uh, 30 days, raising uh, awareness for, you know, prostate cancer. Uh, that was the only issue at that time that they were, were focused on. And so for the two years before I left Molson, I was fully engaged with this. I tried to get Molson on board uh, to be a partner because I just thought the fit was, was brilliant. And um, when I left, I was volunteering as the chair of the local committee in Toronto. And so was helping volunteer and lead uh, all the different volunteers. And at a meeting, one of the, well, the, the global CEO walked up to me and said, I heard you left. Um, I'm not sure if you have any interest, but we need to open up an office in Canada. And we'd like to see if you'd be interested in running it. To be honest with you, Marilyn, I didn't even realize there was a business behind Movember. I didn't realize that you would have, you know, directors and staff and all the things. And, you know, honestly, it would all happen by accident. But it happened because I put myself into places where I was passionate and I followed things that made me happy. And growing mustaches and laughing and doing good was the perfect combination for me. And that's how I slipped from, you know, for-profit into the not-for-profit world at Movember. And then Genwell was really just an evolution of recognizing uh, on my journey, both in the beer industry and in the not-for-profit side at Movember, was recognizing, holy cow, people really like being with each other. I wonder if there's something behind that. And when I looked a little deeper and then also going through the blackout in 2003, what I recognized was, wow, we, uh, we have a problem. You know, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, the research is now clearer than ever before that we need each other. And yet pre-pandemic, most of us were spending less time with each other than ever before. So um, as you know, we launched in 2016, long before the global pandemic, but the pandemic has certainly put a magnifying glass on the issue that we're trying to address at the GenWell project. Wow. It takes a lot of bravery to walk away from a large organization when you're in a big position in the beer and beverage alcohol business. That takes courage. It takes courage to walk not really knowing what that next piece will be, but knowing that you've got to follow a passion and you've got to follow a path that's going to take you to happiness. It's funny when, when you say that, you actually, you've got me a little, uh, I got goosebumps. I'm a little emotional because it was a very lonely time. And this is something I've recognized in running the GenWell project is as I left Molson and as anybody who's worked for one of those uh, those types of big companies, you could call anybody and they'd pick up the phone. You know, everybody wanted to talk to you. When I was a sales rep, everybody wanted to be your best pal. And unfortunately, the minute I left, those phone calls start, stopped coming. Those emails started to stop coming. And initially, it's a relief because the pressure and the stress is off. But over time, you start to go, wow, I guess all those, you know, friends or all those business contacts were really, it was business. And those are colleagues, not friends. And, and I'm not, not everybody. But certainly, you start to wake up and, and realize, you know, the difference between, you know, what you might have thought was was there and what you were focusing most of your time and attention on, and maybe what we were supposed to be or we should be focusing more of our time and attention on. And you bring up such an interesting place on that, Pete, because 
I came out of the advertising agency business, so I wasn't the client side. I always wanted to be, never actually was able to make that big jump over the chasm of being a service person versus the client. But it almost becomes a little bit of an addiction when you've got clients like McDonald's and you've got clients like Coca-Cola and 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 you're commanding a lot of attention because your clients are big big brands and I worked for Disney, I worked for, you know. And then when you step away from that, it, there's that great wait a minute. And I took it when I walked away from that industry into doing my own business, I I'm like, I took it very personally. Like, wait, you used to care about me? Cuz I thought they did, but but no you now you don't cuz I don't have those big clients in my portfolio, so to speak. Mm, yeah, I think it's you know, I've always been I've been meaning to write a, a blog or an article for a while called The Race. Mm. And the race for me is that uh, every day since high school, we've all been told you got to get up, you got to go, you got to get more, you got to get ahead, you got to get this, you got to get that. And it's actually a visual I have in my head. I stepped out of the uh, Sporting Life 10K around Davisville and Young. If you've ever run that 10K, it's downhill. And uh, I remember standing there and I remember somebody saying to me, like, what are you doing? And it was like, yeah, I'm, I'm just uh, getting some water. I'm taking a break. And, and there was a part of me that, you know, I, I, the analogy or the visual back to the, the work piece is you'd say to people like, hey, where are you running to? And, and most people probably wouldn't even know because there is no end game. If, it's, if every day you wake up and all you want is more, then ultimately there is no satisfaction ever. Because it's always about each day is about gaining more, wanting more, getting more. And then what happens? And we've seen this. How many times have we seen this? You die of a heart attack. You know, you end up lonely and isolated because, you know, you've spent so much time focused on the work, which comes to an end at some point that you actually haven't built the relationships that will be there for you. So you know, lots of learnings that we as we go here. But you know, maybe maybe this conversation can help some other people that, especially during the pandemic, are thinking about what should my priorities be on the other side of this uh, of this break? Exactly. Thank you. Yes, I have I have run that race a, um, a number of times. I have tried to break an hour. I have never broken an hour, but I understand exactly what you're saying, and it's a tremendous tremendously accurate analogy, I believe. So, Pete, the GenWell project started as the generator project. What, am I right when I say that? Or it, its first iteration in 2016, let's just talk about that, and then we'll bring it forward to, to today. Yeah, so the original inspiration, Summer Blackout of 2003, if you remember back to that day, I was at a friend's house uh, after we all got home and checked on our loved ones. And we saw the amazing uh, feats of the human species, directing traffic, handing out water, ice cream, helping each other, carrying old ladies down flights of stairs. In times of crisis, we are an amazing human species. The problem is, as we see in so many things, is after the crisis is over, we all go back to the fast-paced, crazy world that we were we were living in. So in 2016, when we launched the GenWell project after, you know, 13 years of talking to people about, wouldn't it be great if we could recreate that moment, that moment when somebody turned off all the distractions and what did we naturally do? We do what Maslow told us was a human innate need we all have, 
which is belonging, love, you know, connecting with other people. And so uh, the original uh, name, the Generator Project 2016, was because on the day of the summer blackout, 550 generators went down in the northeastern United States, which allowed us to generate great connections and conversations. And that was, you know, all done. And I'll be honest with you, my personal coach and my wife were the two people who both basically said at the same time, you're either going to do this or you're going to regret this for the rest of your life if you don't try this. And so I put up a website and in a matter of 10 days, we had 57 people register their intention to get a connection. So to go out and get people together, whether it was their family, their friends, their neighbors, their colleagues, their classmates, people stepped up and said, I want to be part of the solution to the disconnected world that we're in. And here we are five years later, still trying to spread the message. And like many things, we need a catalyst to really uh, launch them into uh, the awareness levels of the general population, but nothing like a global pandemic for 18 months to awaken us all to how much we need each other. What were you doing the night of the, the Black Hood in 2003, Pete? First off, I was at Molson, so I rushed home. I had an elderly mom. I rode down Young Street. Uh, I saw all the beauty of the human species as people were walking up from downtown, and I went to a friend's house. We had a barbecue there that started with two, and as people slowly but surely you know, filed their way over, it was like 10, then it was 15, then it was 20, and it was honestly one of the most beautiful nights uh, of my life. Uh, I shouldn't say of my life, but it was just a beautiful night of people connecting. And then at nine o'clock at night, I went out on St. Clements Avenue in Toronto, which some people will probably know on this call or on the on the listening to the podcast. And uh, uh, the street was filled with people. And I thought to myself, wow, isn't that cool? All these people know each other and they're on the street together. And so being the inquisitive and connected type of person or community type person that I like to be, I went out and said, hey, guys, this is awesome. You guys are all know each other. This is great. Isn't it awesome that we're all out here? And they all looked at me and they went, we, we don't know each other. And I thought to myself, how is this possible? You know, here we are. We've turned off all the distractions, the TVs, the computers, the phones. You came out, you're connecting like you've known each other for 100 years, but you actually don't know each other. And I thought to myself, what if we could find more catalysts like that? And that's really how this whole thing got started. So I was one street over living on Briar Hill. Ah. with my two kids and had come home from the business I was running downtown. I did have a car and I did have enough gas to get home. Mm -hmm. And my neighbors were out on their front lawn with tubs of ice cream and spoons and looking up at the sky mm. because we could see the stars. And living in a big city with all the white light that happens from all of the towers in downtown, et cetera, I didn't realize we could ever see the stars from the city. <laughs> and they were like literally had their cutlery drawer out in the middle of the lawn and were handing out spoons to anybody who was walking by and here Beautiful. have some butter pecan or whatever you want because it's all going to go bad in our freezer. And everyone literally sat around on their lawn eating out of a communal ice cream tub looking up at the stars. 
My kids are now obviously much older than they were then, but they will still tell you f- such lovely memories and stories about that night. I, m- I might even suggest to you how many of us were taking the time to look up at the stars ever. Never. Aside from the fact the white light was in the way, um, most of us weren't making the time. And, you know, right up to 2016, when we launched this, you know, the research was showing 50% of us didn't know our next door neighbor's name. We entertained at home half as much as we did back in the late 1990s. You know, more people, whether it was seniors or young people, were battling loneliness and isolation, you know, at the highest levels in history. The reality is we were not spending time with other people. And at the same time, the research was becoming clearer and clearer, most of it only in the last 20 years, that spending time with other people not only is the single largest thing that makes you happy in life, it reduces anxiety and depression, increases empathy, compassion, and resilience. And in a world in which we're struggling to connect and build bridges, that's pretty important. You know, strengthens our immune system and our self-confidence and can increase your chances of living longer by up to 50%. But Marilyn, we've never been taught this. We don't know it. You're lucky if you grew up in a family who appreciated connection and appreciated those moments when we came together, whether it was, you know, real uncles or the people we called uncles or aunts, or, you know, if you were lucky, you had that type of connection that was almost quote inbred in you. But for most of us, you know, we've gotten distracted. We've gotten caught up in the fast paced world that we live in. And this is really just a reminder. We, we, we need to educate people on the facts, the research, because it's all new. And uh, and also in with technology today, it's also making sure that people understand uh, the research before the pandemic was showing the average person was spending 12 hours a day on screens. And what I heard early on in the pandemic was that was up by 40 percent. Well, that now takes it to 16 hours a day. Well, if you're spending 16 hours a day and the average person is supposed to get seven to eight hours sleep, where's the time to connect? And if we know that that's what is the single largest thing that makes us happy and healthy, well, that's not a good sign for the future of our society. And I'm fairly speechless about those statistics, Pete, but the the conversation then becomes, how do we get people to, to know this, not even know it? I mean, that's why you started this project, the GenWell project, but actually believe it. Like, Mm. believe it slash embrace it slash put your phone down. Like, my kids, no phones at the table. Okay, well, then they put them inside their hoodie pockets or they stick (laughs) them underneath their their thigh. And then all of a sudden we hear something vibrating and I'm like, okay, it's not on the table, but it's still at the table. I know you've done so much research, but but how do we really push forward in getting this brave, if you will, message out there in that this matters? Yeah, that it does. And so here's what I would say in response to that. Um, by no means do I have this uh, magic cure. Mm-mm. You know, I don't have a pill um, and we can't, uh, you know, we don't have the money yet um, to to broadcast this message to a broader population, uh, although I, I'm hoping that that's coming shortly. Um, we didn't get here overnight to a point where we were the most disconnected society in history. We got here over, really, since the Second World War. We've lived in the greatest growth era in the history of the world. And rather than, you know, 
putting those, uh, putting our time and efforts into building stronger connections and communities, we've actually started to believe that we could, you know, make our way in the world on our own. We forgot about it taking a village to raise a child and frankly, to do more than raise a child. It takes a village to, you know, get through life. I like to say life is a team sport, you know, and you need your, your teammates around you in order to get through this in the happiest and healthiest way possible. So what I know is that we won't change this in one day, one week, one month, one year. This is going to take time. And what we need is, you know, off of this podcast, off of the interview I did this morning on national television, off of, you know, every opportunity to share this and speaking in front of a business in a community center in you know, wherever we can do it, schools, universities, where I was talking to a university that we're working with today, you know, every one of these conversations is going to reflect. I'll tell you, the university I was speaking to today, three of the five kids that I'm working with uh, at a university in Canada doing a special project are new Canadians. They're, you know, from somewhere else. They've come for school. And all three of them were getting emotional, telling me how they felt lonely and isolated when they came to this country to go to school. And, you know, the reality is everybody has their own story. And the pandemic has really allowed us all to maybe have a taste of what it might be like to be lonely and isolated. And a big part of our message is not only educating the people that are lonely and isolated in what they might do to get more connected, but it's actually waking everybody else up. Everybody who has those communities, everybody who feels connected and supported and loved and all those things, maybe it's actually the role that they can play in building a higher, uh, a more connected society because they recognize that their neighbor who might be a senior is alone, or it might be a, a foreign student who's who's living next door, or, you know, it could be a young kid who's been uh, homeschooling for the last 18 months. And in a lot of cases, it's as simple as, hey, Jimmy, Susie, whatever, you know, the kid's name is, how you doing? How, how are things? You want to shoot a basketball? You want to you know, go do something. You know, when I grew up and you grew up, you know, uh, our competitive set were the five people we could see out the front window. Today, social media has made it everybody. And that creates some emotional barriers to us reaching out and connecting with other people. But there was always 10 kids on the street as well. And so we could always go out and find time and find people. Mom and dad would wash the car, talk to the neighbors. My mom sat on the porch, had a coffee or a glass of wine. Aside from the fact that digital technology is in the way, aside from the fact we're in the busiest, most, you know, distracted world in history, we just don't have some of the things that we used to have. And so highlighting it, making making people conscious and aware of how important it is and how they might get started is really what we're trying to do because it will take time. But one step at a time, one person reaching out to one other person, we can make the world a happier and healthier place. It's such a rich experience when you do that for the individual on the, say, the receiving end of it. But I mm. also wonder if it's almost a richer experience for yourself. A um, couple things have come to mind, and I'm just, my husband and I were walking our 15-week-old puppy this morning, and she needs a lot of exercise so that we can get anything done during the day. And there was an older couple that are sitting on their porch across the street that has the typical route that we take every day. And we've waved and they've smiled and you can see them enjoying the puppy from across the road. 
And this morning I said to Bill, it was kind of a Pete Bombace inspired moment where I said, you know, we'll wait for the cars to be gone and let's cross over and and say hello and say good morning and introduce them to the puppy. Well, we met them, Sandra and Lance, and we learned a lot about them and their two, two Irish greyhounds that they own. And it just, I felt lighter. I just felt like, wow, now they know the puppy's names and they know our names. And it was just a tiny thing of crossing the street and saying good morning and introducing yourself and chatting for a few minutes. And it was like, wow, that made me feel great. And, and hopefully it made them feel great. So first off, thank you for doing that, because uh, even saying it was a Pete Pumbachi-inspired moment, the research does show that it's actually good for both you and the person you reach out to. And this is how we change the world, Marilyn, is if we tell more people, you know, one of the pieces of research that came back from our Canadian Social Connection Survey is what you just did there. We'll call them strangers, although they were the neighbors across the street. You know, at the end of the day... What the research shows that speaking to strangers at least once a week increases your chances of being happy by three times. What's that? Three times. Three times is likely to be happy. But yet, what have we told people our entire lives when it relates to talking to strangers? Don't do it. And so, and there's also a piece of research out of the UK uh, that says that 90% of the time when you talk to strangers, it ends up in a positive experience for both people. We underestimate our impact on other people and frankly suggest to ourselves that other people don't want to talk to us. They do, they do, they do, and they do, they want to do it a lot. And so, you know, part of the education of the Genwell project is to say to people, look, if I can give you the facts behind human connection, if I can tell you the other pieces out of the the study, so talking to your neighbors, funny enough, it doesn't necessarily make you happier, but it's three times as likely to make you less lonely. You know, building a relationship with people at work increased both your happiness and a a lower sense of lonely, uh, more happiness and less loneliness, more time with family. It was one to uh, one to four hours of spending time with your family was again, about 2.5 increase uh, in your likelihood of being happy. You know, so each one of the relationships in our lives adds value in different ways. And if we can help people understand this, I think we've just unconsciously, you know, been in our community, but we didn't really understand why we were doing it. And most of us were waking up every day, running out of our homes, jumping in our car, driving to our office and spending time there. So not a surprise, spending time with colleagues was rated as very high on the impact that it had when you spent more time with your colleagues, because we've been so focused on our success and working at the office. Although, you know, it's still important. We got to make a living. We got to pay the bills. So building a relationship with people at the office, not only is that good for your mental and physical health, it increases collaboration, retention, resilience, uh, loyalty, trust, everything we want. And a person who has a best friend at the office is seven times more productive by one study. Well, so no wonder we all need to be spending more time. And this is why business leaders and HR departments need to be focused. Maybe one of the things we haven't been focused on enough is giving time for our teams to connect. And now we can't as well as we used to. But, you know, we used to have the Christmas party and the summer barbecue. This needs to be much more regular and it needs to be facilitated by the business 
because everybody gets caught up and trying to coordinate connections is really difficult. But if the businesses are creating that ongoing connection calendar, they will win because people feel like there's opportunities to build relationships with other peoples in the workplace. And I think, um, thank you for that. I think too that the gifts of the pandemic, if you would, you know, allow me to call some of these things gifts, is that people, yes, they they want to connect, but they want to connect in a much more, I'm not a fan of the word, but authentic way. In other words, I actually want to hear about my colleagues' stories, or I want to hear about their struggles, or I want to hear about their values. I want to hear about stuff that matters to them. I think you have have an opinion on this thing we are seeing ourselves go through called the Great Resignation, and how the work that you're doing might connect with the Great Resignation like in a positive way. So for the listeners who don't understand what the great resignation is, I've just actually sent out a newsletter and did a blog today about this, but it's the fact that the pandemic has basically shown the world that people's value systems might have been screwed up, probably were in the idea of that race, the 10K sporting life races, run and run and run and run as fast as you can. Why? Yeah, where and, to? <laughs> yeah, and now they have, well, I got to spend time with my dog and I got to spend time with my little kids. Mm. And maybe at first it was a bit of a pain, but actually we got to bond and get to know each other and do things together on levels that my value system has been shaken to its core. And maybe work is not my number one priority anymore. I want to work for an organization that has the same value system as I do and cares about things and I need a purpose and all of those things is basically rolled up in a ball what the great resignation is all about. Yeah. How do you feel about that term? I forget the guy's name who first coined it, but the great resignation as a result of all these people coming to terms with their value systems through COVID. Well, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more on your description of what what's going through people's heads right now. McKinsey came out with a study uh, recently that uh, spoke about the three reasons why the Great Resignation was happening. They referred to it uh, slightly different, um, but their th- their three points were uh, people didn't have a sense of belonging, their bosses didn't care about them, and their companies didn't care about them. Hmm. I don't know what's the What's the cure to three those three things? I might argue it's human connection. So if you're not making the time to understand your employee, if your business business isn't uh, uh, investing the time to build the community and the team and the camaraderie that we all desire in life, and if your individual employees don't feel like they belong to anything other than selling the widgets that you're producing each and every day, they're all going to start looking. We all need to find our purpose and the alignment in our lives. This has been, if this had been like some of the other tragedies, like the blackout where it was a day or two, you know, we would have rushed back into the old ways of doing thing. And I think, you know, as much as this has been a, a tragedy in so many ways, whether you've lost a loved one or you haven't been able to see your elderly parent or your young kids are struggling because they don't get to see their buds or whatever, you know, there is, there is, some, there are some silver linings here that are making us wake up and actually recognize some of the things that might not have been 
as high on our priority list as they should have been. You also mentioned, Pete, your work with Centennial College and their face-to-face February movement, I believe it was. And and could you tell us a little bit about that face-to-face February that Centennial College launched? Because it sounded so impactful. Yeah, Marilyn, I just honestly thank you for even doing a little bit of research and finding that. Uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned, we're working with another university at West right now. We've worked with U.S. colleges. We've worked with Carleton University. Every As much as we all recognize or pre-pandemic, everybody recognized that seniors were impacted by social isolation. I'm telling you right now, the people who are getting this more than anybody are our young people. The kids in university, when I have an opportunity to stand in front of a class and tell kids the facts around human connection, it is unbelievable to see people step up, you know, the volunteering opportunities. I think uh, Donald Lindell over at Centennial, the first time I presented to a, the, the class about Jen Well, she said, Pete, the problem I've got is everybody wants to work on your project, but I have to give some of the people to the other other programs as well. And so, you know, it's so beautiful to see our young people, you know, connecting with this and no pun intended. But that that campaign was created by a team of about four or five kids. Mubashira uh, led it. Uh, there was a couple other people that were involved. And it, you know, what was really powerful about creating it was 20 day, 29 day actions Today, we want to give you one suggestion on how you can improve your social health by taking one action. But the most powerful thing about that whole thing is that the team that got up in the front of the classroom, when they were presenting me the concept, the first words out of their mouth was, you know, hey, thanks for, you know, thank you for giving us this opportunity to work on your project. This program that we created, we created for us. We created for the students of Centennial College who need this. In February, what they identified is February has Valentine's Day that can be a struggle, you know, because, you know, we're all supposed to be hooked up in these beautiful, loving relationships. Um, and as we all can probably reflect back on, it wasn't always that way back in, in university and college. Um, it comes with uh, reading week. So there's a week off where some people have families to go home to and some don't. And in the global pandemic, even if you had somebody, you might not have been able to go see them and hug them and care for them. And the third one was that there was exams and, you know, the stress that comes with exams and then the fear and failure if things don't go the way you had anticipated. So it was such a beautiful movement. It was a beautiful campaign as part of our movement that identified, hey, we as students want to build something to help all the other students across this country by raising the consciousness of the importance of human connects when you're going through these challenges in the month of February. And I'm just, we, we now have incorporated it as an annual recurring uh, campaign that we run with the, with uh, the Genwell project. And you are right. It was 110% the students of Centennial college. And we're excited to work with more colleges and students across this country as we continue to roll out this campaign. I love it. I was inspired and and got those goosebumps when I was reading about it because in my family, we have a number of kids that last year were to have started university and couldn't. And, and, And to me, university or college or whatever they were going to do even if it was putting on a backpack and taking a, a, a gap year and traveling, which they now couldn't. 
that that experience, whether it's the gap year, the residence, the fraternities, clubs, whatever they defined as stuff they wanted to get into, all of it was stripped away. And then I think about the new Canadians that you mentioned, international students, foreign students that have come from all over the world to go to these schools, and and they can't even go now. Now, if they're in a dorm, they're in a dorm with a computer in front of them. And, and how is that even going to work out well for them where they're feeling perhaps lost and isolated because they're in a brand new country they've never lived in before. And now there's nobody really around them that they can get to know. Yeah. I have another intern working for me right now. I think he is from Pakistan. Um, Apologies, Deepan Shu, if I got that wrong. Um, But he literally got here one month before the lockdown. And not only can he not go home, but he can't see people here. And as a result, you know, he's been lonely and isolated. And I do take responsibility when, when somebody calls and says, hey, would you like um, would you like an intern? The answer is yes, because I get it. I understand it. I understand social connection. So even if I can't give you all the hours that you want to fill your your internship, I will give you the opportunity to stay connected to a team of people who believe in, you know, helping each other right now. Because I know the universities and colleges are struggling to fill all those internships because people can't come to the office and can't, you know, do some of the roles that they were traditionally doing as interns. So we all need to step up and recognize that we can all be part of that solution. Absolutely. And Pete, you mentioned Valentine's Day. (laughs) Am I triggered around my youth and Valentine's Day? I was even before social media. And struggling through February for so many reasons. Are there times of the year when people feel more isolated? I mean, we live in a country where it can get pretty dark and pretty cold for months on end. Is is the weather part of it? Is it what in your learned experience are the times of the year where people really find this, wow, I could really use a little hug well, it's interesting because two weekends a year, which we refer to as Genwell weekends, are the catalytic moments when we want to get people connected. And and we pick the two weekends based on the science, which I do believe that most people aren't aware of either. I think most of us think, obviously, there's seasonal disorder because of the, the dark and colder days of the winter and fall, the fall and winter. But, you know, suicide rates are actually highest in the springtime. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And they say it's the inflammation of the body and the, and the pollen that's in the air uh, in the spring. But they also talk about the warming temperatures and the social pressures that come as we, you know, get into the season of getting back outside. And whether it's because we've been, you know, in a traditional year, we've only been locked down into our homes with our blankets and our, our warmth for four or five months. Now we've been doing it for 18 months. But traditionally, you come out of the fall and winter and the spring comes and you start to feel better and you come outside. And again, as I said about the social pressures that we have, you know, in the old days, the only people you had to impress were, you know, the people across the street, you know, because that was your your competitive set. But now you're, you may have gone through some challenges over the winter. You may not have, you may have lost a job. You might have been diagnosed with an illness. You might have relationship issues, kid issues. Who knows what the issues might be? 
and everybody else is going out and you're watching them on social media each and every day. You're seeing this person celebrating and this person's on a patio and they're doing this. And in actual fact, that's probably one of the things that drives people to stay home and to not go out. And so, you know, the reason we picked the first weekend of May and the third weekend of September is people struggle in seasonal transition. Hmm. And so we want to give people an excuse to reach out to each other, whether that's family, friends, neighbors, colleagues, or classmates, twice a year. Our goal is not to get you to wait for our weekends. Our goal is to get you to actually use these weekends as a catalyst to start connecting. If you've struggled, use us as an excuse. If you don't need us, then keep connecting, keep doing it each and every day. We just want to do three things. We want to help educate you so that you know, if you don't understand why you should be doing it, then I can't expect you to change your habit of, of doing what you're doing, which might be isolating. Number two, I want to give you tips, tools, and ideas so I can empower you, whether it's yourself or connecting with a neighbor or a friend or an old friend, similar to the stranger's comment. If I can educate you on it's going to be okay if you talk to a stranger, you should be good, then maybe you'll think about doing it more often. And then thirdly, if I can catalyze you a couple times a year, then hopefully with that spectrum of offering to people, we can help people get started today. We can help give you the information that makes you feel more comfortable talking to somebody because those conversations, the most recent piece of research out of Harvard and Massachusetts General Hospital says that social connection is the single largest preventative action that we can take to avoid depression. But yet I will argue with you, Marilyn, that 99.9% .9 of the population has no idea. And yes, exercise and eating well and sleep and water and all those things are really important. But if you don't understand that social health, the time you spend with other people is critically important to your health, your happiness, your longevity, and for the business people on the podcast to your success as well, then I think we really are missing one of the key pillars to a, to a happy and healthy life. Absolutely. Wow. No, I would guess you're right. 99% of the people would just get an antidepressant subscription and hope they felt better in a couple of weeks rather than you know, hey, maybe I'll cross the street and go over and introduce my little puppy or, you know, have just take that step. We talk about introverts and extroverts. So for an extrovert, you and I probably qualify. Hey, how are you today? Is uh, something that I'm happy to say to most any person I've never met before. But other people who are more introverted or quiet, maybe that takes a lot more bravery. And so I guess... I'm being asked more and more questions around introverts. So yeah, so easy for you, Marilyn. Like, But for people who aren't, how do they step forward and do things here? So here's here's the message that we have been sharing from, since day one. And even on our GenWell weekends, when, again, we want to be the catalyst that helps you get connected, our message is, hey, your GenWell project could be a coffee with a neighbor. It could be a barbecue with family and friends. It could it could be a street-long potluck. But what we all need to do uh, as society is recognize not everybody wants to be part of that big community event. And that's okay. You know, those introverts just want to connect with one person or two people. They don't want to, they're afraid to talk to strangers. But if we can give them those tips and confidence on why talking to strangers may actually be the safest thing that you can do, 
because we know that 90% of the time it's going to be positive. And engaging in a stranger, you can say hello, they say hello back, you can keep walking if you don't want to go into a deeper conversation. It's actually a great opportunity, I think. But they need the confidence that it's somebody's not going to rip their head off or yell back at them or, you know, starl at them. And yes, you know what? There are going to be people out there who, who do that, but let's not, let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater here. So in all cases, um, introverts need human connection as much as extroverts do. They just want to do it. They might want to do it less often, or they might want to do it in smaller groups. And this is why the Genwell project, like the Canadian food guide, we're telling you about human connection. We're trying to guide you to the solutions to live a better, more socially healthy life. But I'm not telling you that you have to eat avocados or grapefruits. I'm trying to give you direction. I'm going to put the pillars up. The, the I'm going to put the the ball barriers in the um, in the bowling lanes, and I'm going to say stay between these two lanes so that you'll get the ball to hit the pins at the end of the laneway. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to provide the education that allows introverts to understand, you know, how they might do it. And maybe even more importantly, is maybe educate the rest of the people around an introvert to say, hey, I now recognize that Marilyn is an introvert. So maybe rather than saying, hey, Marilyn, come on out to the street party. Maybe what I'll say is, hey, Marilyn, would you like to go for a coffee one day? because I've really been meaning to catch up with you and I haven't seen you out on the street very often. So uh, maybe we can catch up that way. Fabulous. Thank you. And so, um, Pete, can you describe for us how the Genwell weekends work? Because when I first was researching you and, of course, came across Genwell weekends, what first came into my mind was completely wrong. Is I'm like, oh, is this like a big camp? And everyone gets on a bus and goes to a place and we all set up tents and we get to know each other, kind of kumbaya Genwell camp. When I did my deep dive, I'm like, no, 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 that's not what it is. It's much easier, simpler, and in a way more meaningful than that. So maybe just so that people don't end up in that same headspace as me, like, oh, we're all getting on a bus and we're going to a camp. No, that's not what a Genwell weekend is. Yeah. And thank you for asking the question. It is something, and I think it's a difficult concept for people to get because it's so out of our habit. So, you know, when we built the movement initially, what we recognized is what the research shows is bringing a million, and I always think of the SARS concert up at Downsview Park, which I had the opportunity to go to, bringing a million people to Downsview Park and saying, you guys should get connected it doesn't happen that way. You know, people are coming from all over the place. Nobody's really going to, you, you might go up with your own friends. And so that's a good thing. You might connect with some people there, but what we're trying to do is build some new bridges. Certainly we want to help people entrench the relationships they have, but what the research shows is that the relationships that will provide those longer term health and wellness benefits in building that sense of, I have a community of people around me. And when I say community, I'm not talking about the geography. I'm talking about the holistic community. And so our message is, hey, what we want you to do is get connected with the people that you're emotionally or physically connected to, because those are the ones that you're most likely to build those longer term supportive relationships with. So emotionally, family and friends, you know, we all have a connection. There's some history there. What a great, great reason and excuse to reach back out to them and say, haven't seen you in a while. You're on my long list. Like all of us have the long list of people that we've been meaning to see. I just want to use Genwell weekend to call up a few old friends and let's get together. 
or physically connected to, you know, it's your office mates, it's your classmates, or it's your neighbor. And, you know, as I said earlier, you know, 50% of Canadians didn't know their neighbor's name before the global pandemic. Well, what a great opportunity on Genwell weekend to knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, I'm doing this thing for called uh, Gen Gen something. These guys are trying to get people to get connected because it's good for us. You know, now you've had an excuse. And if the person says no because they don't understand it, then, you know, it doesn't mean the game is over. It just means next year or next Genwell weekend, you try it again because bit by bit, we are going to change the world because we do need to come together. Whether it's to solve health and wellness, whether it's about prevention, whether it's about building bridges between communities, you know, reducing political polarization, you know, human connection is at the root of every illness, cause or crisis that we have in society. If we can come together, we can solve anything but what we've seen through social media on Twitter and Facebook and all these other you know, social media channels is one of the ways that we know we won't solve problems in many cases is by tweeting nasty comments at each other. And so I say that jokingly, but we've seen it from the political elections and the polarization that's out there. The time is now to come together. We've woken up during this global pandemic, and I hope everybody will join the human connection movement and say, look, I do want to be part of the solution and we won't be able to solve this overnight, but with the effort of everybody stepping up and saying, let me reach out to one more person today. Let me say hello to that neighbor across the street and introduce them to my new dog. Every one of those little steps is going to go a long way to making the world a happier and healthier place. Wow. Pete, can we go back to bravery for a second? What does bravery look like to you? Just personally? What does bravery look like? Well, I guess bravery is, you know, I I don't want to say staring down fear and going through the fire. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's recognizing that you might be taking a different path, not taking the beaten path. And you might be going down another path, but you, for whatever reason, maybe it's purpose Maybe it's a passion. Maybe it's, you know, something that's driving you to do it, that you take the path anyway. And, you know, (laughs) to be honest with you, five years, there has been no money in this for me for five years. Um, This has been about chasing a dream, two dreams here. Number one is the dream of creating a sustainable business so that we can keep spreading this message. But the one that has kept me alive for five years and keeping me driving is because I get a phone call or an email from a teacher. You know, the past gen, this past Genwell weekend, I had two individuals reach out to me and say, I have no friends. You know, what would you recommend? And I was happy to share some thoughts with them privately. And uh, I've gone and had coffees with those people as well who've reached out on previous uh, Genwell weekends. And I had mothers share how important our information is to their kids. Um, you know, it's those messages, those emails, those texts, those posts that keep me going forward because I know how important this message is and how few of us are conscious of it right now. I'm fairly speechless at this point, Pete, because I admire the bravery that it takes to to follow your heart path, your passion path. You know inside you at some point this is not what I want to do. And I have the courage to step off. And and I don't know what that path is going to look like or lead to, but I am going to do it. 
Um, so how can we support you? How can we get in touch with you? How do you suggest an individual start? And then how do we help you in, in spreading the word, if you will, or what's going to be the most helpful thing for you? Well, um, so thank you for asking the question and thank you for being open to even having the conversation. Um, I always start off by the first thing that everybody can do is go connect with somebody. You know, uh, I'm always purpose first, but as a, a friend of mine, Libby Wildman said, Pete, if I ever hear you say it ain't about the money, I'm not going to support you anymore because if we can't get you the money to keep this thing going, then all of your hard work is going to go for naught. So um, I think that was a great comment. So here's what's here's what I think, you know, we need to start doing more of. We just relaunched our website. And for the first time in five years, we've added a donate button to the website. So, you know, if we can get, you know, a million Canadians put in a dollar, uh, we can we can we can run a campaign for, you know, for a year, for two years. Here are the numbers, actually, Marilyn, that I'll just throw out at you. The Canadian health system spends three hundred and fifty billion dollars a year on our health the issues that are linked to social isolation and loneliness cost about $130 billion a year. So that's dementia, heart disease, diabetes, uh, suicide, anxiety, depression, obesity. And, and my argument is, you know, what if we could save 1% of that? What if we could save the Canadian health system? 1% of that would be $130 million. Does it make sense to invest a million dollars a year you know, maybe it's two. I don't know. Would you spend two million to save 130 million? I don't think there's too many business leaders out there who wouldn't take that investment. And so, you know, that's what we're trying to do here. Minus, if you consider all the impact on the families who lose a, lose some, but lose a loved one to suicide, or people that are living, you know, overweight, or people who are dying of a heart attack or dementia, or you know, all the different illnesses that come as a as a result of chronic loneliness. So, you know, first and foremost, they could go make a donation and help us pay some of the hard costs of this movement. But then, as I think to a bigger question, it's finding that corporate partner who understands the power of this movement and associating themselves with not only internally educating their employees, but building connection into their community and then taking a leadership role across the 37 and a half million Canadians who will benefit from the opportunity to understand this situation, not only as how it reflects on their health and happiness, but maybe even more importantly, the impact that it could have on the people around them. Amazing. And do you hashtag anything if you've reconnected with an old friend, connected with a new friend, taken a shot of you, your puppy, your husband with these beforehand strangers and put it on social media? Like, is there some way that that world that on the one hand can be so isolating, but on the other hand can spread the word? Is there something we could be doing there? You know, it's a great question, to be honest with you. Other than Genwell Weekend, when we hashtag Genwell Weekend, we actually don't do a lot of other than, you know, our posts. And we want people to share our posts because really what we're trying to do is educate through, you know, positive messages. And what we don't want to get in is we don't want to be part of the competition. And we're, you know, it's it's a yeah. fine line between between. Uh, encouraging people to share, share your great moments of you and everybody else you've ever connected with. And 
you know, but isn't that what we're living with each and every day? And isn't that what's creating some of the problems that we're having right now? You know, as we we say, even on Genwell Weekend, we want you to take the picture, but don't share it right away. We want you to share it with us later. Let us share it with our community and inspire people to get connected. Because if you think back, you know, I, I think this is always a good chuckle. Think back to Black's camera. Or, you know, I think at one point I took my photos to Shoppers Drug Mart and you'd wait for a week or 10 days and you'd beg that they weren't blurry because you would have lost that moment. You would be and you paid twenty five dollars for 12 pictures, I think, at one point. And the reality is what happened when you got those photos back? You opened up you opened up the package, Mm. you slowly pulled out those pictures and then you just smiled. You were like, oh, my God, remember that moment? Oh my God, look at that picture. Hey, we got to call Steve again because wasn't that an amazing moment? And Steve will be so, that's a photo that Steve needs to put on his wall. Oh my God, look at that photo. Look at the kids. The kids, look at the smiles on their faces. And today, I think the average person, I think I uh, I posted this in one of our infographics, the average person takes 450 photos a month now. And let me ask you this, when was the last time you actually went through and did a Friday night viewing of photos with the family or with whomever. And the reality is we don't. And so part of me wants to help people do things that will be, will add value versus continuing to be part of the competition. And, and again, maybe that's wrong. And, you know, I'd certainly love to sit down with you and, and, and have a chat about it, you know, as far as a strategic approach to how do we get more people to engage throughout the course of the year. But, you know, the starting point is, hey, we're trying to be different because we can see what going one particular way, one beaten path is get where it's gotten us. Mm. And so I think the time for now is to kind of say, hey, let's let's try something else. And you see what I just did there, which is which is what the world is doing. OK, hashtag and I'll share it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Yet that's not what you're asking me to do here, Pete. You're you're asking me to do something different, different because it's real engagement. And can I can I say, Marilyn, the number of times that people have said not just that, but, you know, other things are like, hey, but you should go do this because that's how people will catch on. And that's how and I keep saying, but that's not the right. Mm-hmm. But we can't do that. And and unfortunately, it's probably held us back in our, quote, growth. But at the end of the day, if we don't do this the right way, you know, we'll never achieve what the mission of our movement is, which is truly to make the world a happier and healthier place. So, yes, we're five years in. Yes, we're still this little movement that could. But because we've done all the right things, I think the opportunity now at the end of an 18 month pandemic is to find those partners and people like you. And and again, thank you for this opportunity the people like you who get it and want to become ambassadors and champions and say, hey, have, do, have you not heard about Jen Well and what they're doing? Like, this is what we need to be doing. This is how we bring people back together. And so every conversation like this with, uh, with beautiful people like you trying to make the world a better place by sharing stories is the opportunity to connect with somebody who goes, oh, my God, we need to be a part of this movement. And I, I just, I might have, through the course of this conversation, realized that social media hole was there and I still fell in it. In other words, connecting online in a tweet, in an Instagram, and a, hey, hey, oh yeah, I did it. I checked in. That is not what we're talking about. 
We're talking about getting up maybe 20 minutes earlier when there's been a snowstorm in January and clearing off your neighbor's car. Because the other one is like, oh yeah, there's my friend. Hey, you look great. Hi, I connected with you. It's not meaningful. It's too superficial. Am I right? Where Where's this line where we're talking about real, authentic, making a human connection, face-to-face, even with a mask, using the integrity as opposed to, oh yeah, yeah, I did I did that. I checked in, you know, checkbox. Yeah. Hey, look, we, we've come through a global pandemic where in many cases we weren't able to see people face-to-face. So thank goodness we have technology to supplement the human connections that do keep us happy and healthy. And, and I also think that maybe the pandemic has awoken us to how we were intended to use technology like we are right now, having a conversation. I was playing Euchre one night early on in the pandemic and with some old high, uh, university friends. And in one Euchre game, we had somebody from Thailand, uh, New Zealand, uh, Algonquin Park, Toronto, and New York on a, in a Euchre game. And you're like, Wow. And yet that technology had been available for 10 years, but we'd never done it because nobody had thought about using technology that way. Instead, where we were using it was mainly in social media platforms, passively scrolling through other people's lives and not only being emotionally impacted, but basically wasting time in our days that could be spent doing things that add value to our lives versus take value away from our lives. So you know, first and foremost, you know, that is the the wake up call for all of us. Mm. And a big part of our message is we want to help you understand the things that are preventing you from spending time with people. And number two is we want to help you understand the benefits of human connection so that you will go and make it happen. But just to your point about the shoveling snow with your neighbor, you've now given me two things and I don't even think you're conscious. And this is what I love about this, why it just, it starts to flow when it's in your consciousness. This is the key is that you've now talked about introducing your dog as a peep on moment, which I really appreciate. And, you know, it's a Genwell moment. You've now talked about, wow, I guess I could get up 20 minutes earlier and shovel the snow. You know what? I could leave some muffins on my neighbor's door and my neighbor across the street is a hundred years old Every time I see him, I make the conscious effort to go, Max, how are you? What's going on? You know, I I feel like I'm talking to a 16-year-old the way I, you know, I kind of fist pump him, you know, give him a, a high five. But it's all that consciousness that if we all do that one thing, what's your one thing today? We did a, at the start of the global pandemic, we launched a, a whiteboard video called Just One More. And our ask was, everybody, think about the just one more person that you could reach out to today as we were in the early stages and people were struggling to cope. But why should that be every why should that be every different every day? Who's your just one more today that you could reach out to, whether it's an old friend, whether it's a stranger? Whose day can you make different today? Who who can you make their day better today by reaching out and saying hello? That comes to thinking about the other person before you're thinking about yourself, Mm. I think, right? I'm going to tell you this small little story, and then I've got one more question. Um, We used to have a cottage on Stony Lake. It was an island, and that comes with a lot of joy (laughs) and a lot of frozen ropes if you've left your boat in the water for too long in November. Mm. But there was a man who had a small cottage across the way, also on an island, and he was in his 90s, and routinely... I would walk down, not saying I'm a hero, I'm just saying this is a simple thing, and I would just yell, hey, 
Gordon. And he would emerge from the cottage because we weren't that far apart. And I'd say, would you like to canoe or swim over for a coffee? And he would. He's in great shape, but depending on how cold the water was, he would either swim over, we'd have a towel and a hot cup of coffee for him. And then if he didn't want to get back in the water, we'd just boat him back across. We find out from all of his kids much later in life, he's still with us, God bless him, how much that meant to him. Because he was there by himself, and he was in his 90s, and he was the hardy guy who was like, I can handle a cottage on an island by myself, what the hell? But the fact that somebody cared enough to say, hey, come on over, let's have a cup of coffee on the dock. Here's a question for you, Pete. How do we take those online connections, and how do we bring them offline? Or is there, do you have some tips on on doing that? in the middle of a global pandemic? Like, are there just small things we could do that, that take it away from the whole tech side of connecting and put it more on the human side of connecting? Well, first and foremost, you know, uh, again, we're in the midst of a pandemic. Yeah. So anything that we suggest is encouraging people to do it safely yeah. and following protocols. But hey, you know, walking and talking, you know, even if you can't be side by side, you know, getting on the phone, putting on your headphones and having a conversation while you're outdoors and connecting, you know, that's a good way to do it. You know, one of our big things right now as we come out of the global pandemic is we need to start doing this again. You know, we've built a lot of bad habits. Like it takes 66 days, I think, to build a habit. Well, we've had more than 66 days to build many bad habits over the course of the pandemic. And one of them, you know, that we need to get back to doing is social connection. So start small. Um, you know, even if it's one person, if it's an old friend, whatever, get started. One thing I really love is getting regular things booked into the calendar. I play hockey a couple times a week and I know every week I never let anything get in the way of it that I'm going to see those 10 guys, 12 guys, whatever the case may be. If you've got a friend or there's a book club or there's a something that you're going to do, get those things in the calendar again when you can go and you can see people safely wherever it is. But when it comes to, you know, maybe the digital connections that you've been having throughout the course of the pandemic and you want to get back together with them, I think it really comes down, Marilyn, to just do, just do it. Like, uh, I don't want to meet, I don't want to steal Nike's uh, tagline here. But at the end of the day, you know, you can have 45 emails or texts back and forth. Hey, how you doing? What's going on? You know, like, and actually I'm doing it tomorrow morning, funny enough, with a with a friend of mine who we've probably texted six months of you know, how you doing, checking in, what's going on. And we're finally going to have coffee uh, tomorrow morning at 930. And so I think for all of us, it's just the wake up call to say, hey, and it's a, a post we did way back is I want something much more than your money. I want your time. I want your, I don't want presence. I want presence. And, and that to me is exactly what we're looking for right now is that every one of us, the greatest gift we can give each other right now is the gift of human connection. And so let's all make the time to say, look, even if it's, even if it's Max across the street, give him 30 seconds, give him a, give him a minute and just let him know that he still exists, that he still is here and that people see him. Because that feeling for some people, and I mean that, you know, extending that across to mar all marginalized communities, you know, obviously there's an ind indigenous conversation on right now, but we have homeless problems, we've got food issues, we've got, you know, so many challenges, and whether it's your neighbor or whether it's people in marginalized communities, 
we can play such a huge role as, as, as a society by just recognizing that sense of belonging that you give to somebody when you go, Hey, how's your day going? You know, can I help? Is there anything I could do for you? You know, can I grab you a coffee? Can I, you know, every one of us has the power to heal. And that's a quote from Dr. Vivek Murthy uh, out of the U.S., the Surgeon General, who wrote a book called Together. And uh, he stated that on a webinar just recently. We posted it the other day. And it's so true. We are all part of the solution. And we have to stop waiting until people are sick. You know, it's easy for us to say, oh, well, that person has a mental health problem, so we know where to send them. Let's stop waiting until people have the problem before we try to help them. And what the research shows is if we can help people stay connected, we can help them overcome any of the challenges that they face in their lives. Thank you so much, Pete. How can the listeners get in touch with you? How can they support Genwell? What, where would you, I mean, here we are back to social media, but maybe you want to give them a phone number. I don't care, but how, <laughs> how, how can they find out more, get involved, pass along the great work that you're doing? Yeah, thank you so much, Marilyn. So they can head over to genwellproject.org. Um, that's our website. We've just relaunched it. We're still uploading content. All of this is being done out of the kindness and generosity of uh, volunteers. Oh, um, so it's taking longer than we would like. Um, so they, at the website, they can make a donation, of course, as we were talking about earlier. They can follow us on our social platforms where they can get daily tips, tools, and ideas on how they can help build their own uh, social health habits, um, but also the impact that they can have on other people. And then as far as contacting me, you know, Pete at Genwell Project, um, you know, happy to speak to anybody, whether it's on a personal level and the impact that this is having or something that they want to do, or on a corporate level or a community level and say, hey, we'd like to support you. How can we get involved? What can we do? You know, all conversations. Funny enough, I'm going to say, I love to connect with people. So, you know, let's get connected and let's figure out how we can make the world a happier and healthier place. I read, as I wrap this up with you now, Pete, the best medicine for people is people. Thank you so much for joining me. It has been a delight to speak with you, to connect with you, and to learn so much from you, Pete. Thank you for joining us. Uh, thanks, Marilyn. It's really, uh, really appreciate the opportunity to share the message. And maybe more importantly, I appreciate you engaging. It's those little actions that can make all the difference in the world. So thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at Marilyn Barefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.